All right, we're going to go ahead and jump into week four of our SIT series. Uh, if you haven't been able to be with us, I want to encourage you to go back and, and, and watch or listen to the first three weeks of this series. We're going to be going through and have been going through the book of Acts. Last week we kind of dissected Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, which um, was one of the, if not the very first sermon of the church that was ever spoken. And today we're actually going to be in Acts 3. Uh, we're going to be there, so if you want to turn in your Bibles and be ready, we're going to be in Acts 3 this morning and, um, and a little bit into 4, but mainly Acts 3. Now, Acts 3 is interesting because a lot of people know part of Acts 3. In fact, there's a story there that we're going to be focusing in on a little bit, um, but the really Acts 3 breaks down into two separate parts that kind of go hand in hand. And one of the things that I found is we know very well the first part of Acts 3, and we're going to look at that together. But the second part of Acts 3, we don't usually spend quite a lot of time in. And what's interesting is they happen right after each other, and they really bring alive what takes place in Acts 3, the first part. So to kind of break it down for you, in Acts 3, starting with verse number 1 to 11, it, this is kind of the miracle. This is the one thing that we know you're going to remember, probably most of you are going to immediately hear it. And you're going to, oh, I know this. I've heard this before. But the second part in 12 through 26, Peter and Paul, or Peter and John, excuse me, don't just leave after this miracle. Peter begins to speak. He begins to share. And so a lot of the second part of Acts 3 is really the sermon that Peter speaks after the miracle. And they go hand in hand. So to really understand the message or the sermon, you have to understand the miracle. And to really understand the miracle, you need to understand the sermon. And so we're going to look at them together, dissect them together, and like I said, so we'll be in Acts 3 this morning. So let's look at the miracle, let's look at what we've kind of, history, or not history, what we've known really well, and then we'll pray and move on. Okay, here we go. Acts 3, we're going to look in starting with verse number 1, and we're going to go to verse number 8. It says, Peter and John went to the temple uh, one afternoon to take a part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple... A man, lame from birth, was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so that he could beg from the people going into the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John looked at him intently, and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but what I'll give you, I'll give you what I have. In the name of Christ Jesus, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then, walking leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with them. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for this time. Father, I pray that as we look at this together, as we look at not just the miracle, but look at the message with the miracle, that Father, you would open our hearts to see a more holistic understanding of what is taking place here and how we can apply it to our lives. Father, this is a great a great miracle, but there's something more here that you want to show us through your Holy Spirit. So God, I pray that you would help us to do that. You'd help us to see what you want us to see, that my words would stop and that yours would literally become what everyone hears because that's what they need. Not me, they need you. So help us. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So here's the deal. When we're looking at this, when we're looking at this, this miracle, we can really take this and we really can not only apply it, what we're going to be talking about today, to this particular miracle, but really most all of the miracles that take place in the New Testament. So here's what I'm meaning. After this is over, I, you could literally take some of the things that we're talking about and apply them to miracles that Jesus did, other miracles that the apostles did. This is going to hopefully help us understand in a greater sense the miracles, what God is wanting to do through them, and how they should change 
change us today. Like, a lot of us will read these miracles, and it, they're great stories, aren't they? I mean, they're neat to hear, and they're neat to see, and oh, wow, Jesus healed the blind man, or Jesus fed the 5,000, or Jesus did this or that, or, or, or wow, Peter, Peter did this, or Peter, or John did this, or Paul did this. And we kind of hear those stories, and they're, they're encouraging to us, but they don't always take that step further to really change who we are in this day and age. They're just kind of like exciting stories, but God doesn't want them just to be stories that we hear and allow them to encourage us. That's part of it, but he wants us to be able to begin to focus on some things that each miracle has that helps us understand more about who God is and more about who God is in our lives today. And so we're going to look at these things. We're going to look at kind of how these miracles turn us and how these miracles can help us focus in on some things because each one can help us to grow in the Lord. So the first thing we're going to look at is this miracle first and foremost, and pretty much all miracles in the New Testament, turn our focus towards God. They turn our focus first and foremost to God. Now remember, I told you earlier that in the first part of Acts 3, we have the miracle. I read basically that part. I left out 9, 10, and 11. They're in there if you want to see them. But basically now what we're going to do as we focus a little bit is Peter immediately following this moment, he begins to speak. He begins to share. He begins to, to go ahead and share the gospel in, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, this is the second message that we have recorded in the book of Acts as far as Peter speaking. So now we're going to begin to look at some of the things he says in the sermon, which again go hand in hand with what just took place in the miracle in the person's life. So let's look at Acts 3, starting with verse 13 and 16. Again, this is Peter now speaking to the people at the temple. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. Obviously, people have seen this man. They know he's crippled. And all of a sudden, they're going, man, what has just taken place here? This guy that couldn't walk is now not just walking, but he's running and he's leaping and he's doing all these things. And so now Peter is explaining this. He says, this is the same Jesus whom you handed over and rejected before Pilate, despite Pilate's decision to release him. You rejected this holy, righteous one and instead demanded the release of a murderer. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead and we are witnesses of this fact. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. So what's Peter doing here? What, what is he starting this whole thing with? People are confused. People are like, what just took place here? And he immediately doesn't take the focus and put it on him and John. He doesn't say, well, you know, listen, we're starting up this ministry. It's going to be wonderful or anything like that. He doesn't take up an offering. He immediately focuses on Jesus. He says, listen, when you see this, what you has taken place right before your very eyes is what God has done through his servant, Jesus. He is basically validating who Jesus is and also validating the work of the apostles as they heal people in his name. Isn't that interesting? Because here's what we typically do. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, if, if we had a situation here where someone was brought in in a wheelchair, and I'm not going to say me, I'll just say someone else, came up and said, you know, I just, I just feel God's really impressing on my heart to pray for this individual. And somebody goes, hey, listen, I, I, I'm so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, but listen, this person has been in their wheel, a wheelchair the last 50 years. They were in a car accident when they were very young. They haven't walked in 50 years. And this person says, I know, but, but I, just, I just feel like God's calling me to, to pray for them. And God wants to do this magic, or excuse me, this miracle in their life. And so they reach out and they grab their hand and they pull them up. And all of a sudden they don't just start walking around. They start leaping and they start going, just running circles around the church. I mean, all of us would be sitting there going, what just happened here? Can I be honest? Would we immediately start praising God? Or would we start praising the miracle? See, Peter didn't start praising the miracle. He started to praise God. 
his focus and what he wanted their focus was not on the supernatural or the miraculous, even though that is a part of the Christian faith. He wanted to immediately go to God. And unfortunately, we kind of aren't always good at that. We tend to kind of focus more on the supernatural display than on Jesus. And we need to remember something. Although our faith does move mountains, although our faith, we can do things through the name of Jesus that otherwise would seem impossible, that's not where our faith lies. That's not where our focus should be. So many times in the New Testament, people missed that. It happened over and over again. Think of all the unbelievable miracles that Jesus accomplished. And yet, they still yelled, crucify him. Why? They were partakers of the supernatural, but not a partaker in Jesus. We have to be careful that we don't do the same. We have to be careful that we're not so interested in the miraculous that we forget the most miraculous thing is the fact that Jesus came, he died for our sins, and we've been made righteous because of what he has done. It's in your notes. Our faith is not in some supernatural display. Our faith is in Jesus. Our faith is in Jesus. And so immediately, Peter begins to turn them from this amazing thing that God has done and focus them into God. The second thing, this miracle turns our focus towards restoration. Towards restoration. Let's go back into sermon, uh, Peter's sermon in Acts 3. So Acts 3, verse number 21. This is what Peter says. For he, meaning Jesus, must remain in heaven until the time for the final restoration of all things, as God promised long ago through his holy prophets. Now, let's, let's, let's stop here and let's really dissect what God is doing and what Jesus is doing in this idea of restoration, okay? Because it's, it's so good. This, I love, I love the, the idea and the concept, and we've talked about it a little bit before, about Jesus coming to make things new and to restore things back to where God wants them to be. When you look at the, 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 the miracles in the New Testament, they all seem to fall under a very interesting thing. And, and there's, this is interesting because I don't know if I would have done it like God, which is not shocking or shouldn't be shocking at all, okay? But if I was going to do something, like I wanted to do a miracle type of thing, I wouldn't have necessarily probably done the miracles that Jesus did. I would have been doing something a little bit more powerful. You know what I mean? Like, here's the thing. You, you, you come, you're, 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 you're God's son. You, you can do it. You know, you, you can do all these things. I think I probably would have done something like, I don't know, um, maybe like lightning out of my fingertips or something like that. Or, or I was thinking about this this week, like, I don't know if, um, like, lasers, you know, like, you know, I always kind of like lasers, you know, like, making lasers come out of my eyes, you know what I mean? Like, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, you see that mountain over there? Yeah, watch. And I just cut it in half. I mean, that would have been a miracle. That would have been amazing. That would have people going, oh, my goodness, this guy is for real. But you realize Jesus doesn't do any of those things in his miracles. In fact, neither do the apostles. I mean, they do great things, but they, it's, it's different. It's different. It's in your notes. I want you to get this because this is important. Miracles in the New Testament are never just displays of raw power. Instead, these miracles are always done to alleviate human suffering. Jesus doesn't just do laser beams and lightning bolts and all these things. Instead, he, he heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals blind people. He feeds people that are hungry. He's, he's slowly and very systematically beginning to restore things back to where God once said they were good. Think back to Genesis. 
When God creates everything before sin, before death, before suffering, before pain, before all these things, and God says it's good. In fact, he goes one step further and says it is very good. What's Jesus come to do? He's slowly in each individual person, he's restoring things back to make them good again. Miracles in the New Testament show this type of thing. And here's what's interesting about that. It's in your notes, and I want you to get this. It shows us that God is no happier with the world than we are. Do you realize that? God is not sitting up there going, boy, boy, everything's going great down there. Everything's happening exactly the way I want it. No. He said it was good before all these things came in. Because of our rebellion, because of our sin, because of those things, all these things were ushered in with sin. And God's not sitting up there going, oh boy, this is fine, this is great, you know, this is okay. God is not sitting there saying, listen, this is so good that we have all these things going on. God is not happy with death. He's not happy with cancer. He's not happy with broken relationships. He's not happy with depression. He's not happy with all these things. God's not sitting up there going, oh, goody, goody, goody. No. God wants to restore them. God wants to fix them. God wants to make everything new again. We see in Romans how Paul writes that, that creation is literally groaning for things to be made right and restored. So many times in life we, we look at these things and we wonder, God, why, why, why? Why, are, why does this happen? Why does that happen? And the bottom line is, is God isn't happy with these things, but God is letting things play out the way that needs to be played out. But there will be a time when God will make it all new. God will take care of these things. And one reason that Jesus comes and the miracles that he does, he's slowly restoring things to the way they should be. Look at this. Look at, we, I know we read this before. We're going to go back to Acts 3, 7 through 8. Listen to what it says. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Now, verse 8 is important. We're going to go into this in just detail in a minute. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking leaping and praising God, he went into the temple with him, with them, okay? Now, here's, here's the thing, okay? We have to put ourselves into that mindset of those individuals, especially those that are at the temple. These individuals are there to pray. They know the scriptures very, very well. So not only are we seeing this healing take place, this restoration of this man's ability to walk, but also we're seeing how he responds to it. And it's very interesting. He doesn't just hang out and walk around. He begins to jump. He begins to leap. He begins to be very excited like we all would be if we were in that situation. Now, the people that are seeing this aren't just sitting there going, okay, this is great, fine, and dandy. This happens every day. I believe that they would have immediately began to go back in their own mind to what they are seeing here because this was pounded into them as young folk to understand who to look for when the Messiah came. I'm going to use one verse, although there's more in the Old Testament that kind of show that. This is in Isaiah 35, we're seeing a Masonic promise. This is basically a verse that is being prophesied about who the Messiah is as far as what he would do. Look what it says about 600 years or so before Jesus comes to earth. Look what it says in Isaiah 35. It says, and when he comes, meaning the Messiah, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer and those who could not speak will sing for." joy he's making all things new one of the signs that they would know who he was was because of what he would do to alleviate 
the suffering and bring forth some restoration into the hearts and the lives of people. And here's the thing that they missed. Not only did Jesus come to restore, in some instances, people's physical ailments and physical bodies, but what's even greater than that is what he did for our spiritual soul and our spiritual body. And he's not done yet. And so for people that are seeing this, for people that have just been told this is about Jesus, Jesus did this before your very eyes because of his power and his authority. All of a sudden these people are starting to go back and they're going, wait a minute, isn't the Messiah supposed to do this? Wait a minute, I'm seeing this person leap like a deer. Wait a minute, I remember this being said. He's beginning to put things right again. He's beginning to put things the way they need to be again. And that's so important. And we don't see the end of it yet. We're not there yet, but a day is coming when it will all be put right. We see that day in Revelation 21, verses 4 through 5. This is what it says. Jesus is, is, is we're hearing this about him. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. When we look at miracles, we first need to look at God. But the second thing we need to look at is understand that this is simply a reminder of how God is going to make all things new again. That is such an encouragement to me. Because I look at our world and I go, man, this world's messed up. Man, this world isn't doing what it needs to be doing. But God says, listen, one day I'm going to wipe it all away. All the pain, all the sorrow, all the hurt, all the tears. I'm going to wipe it away. And miracles show us a small glimpse of that. Miracles show us a God who is restoring all things. And it's such an important thing to help us to look forward to that. Look forward to that day where God makes everything new again. Number three, this miracle turns our focus towards our own soul. This miracle turns it to us to look inside. Because now we're going to have to make some decisions here. This is not an everyday occurrence. This is showing who Jesus is and he's being validated by God and his followers are being validated by him to be able to do these powerful miracles in his name. But let's look at this. Look at Acts 3 again and it's in Peter's message, verses 19 through 20. Peter's speaking it again. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. Peter's not wasting this moment. Peter basically, if this will make sense to you, Peter's like, uh, now, now we're going to have us an altar call, okay? You've seen a, mag a, a miracle of God. You've seen this amazing situation. We focused in towards Jesus. That's who it is. We've seen this idea of restoration. Now it's time to let him do this restoration in you. Not just in our physical bodies, but more importantly, in our spiritual bodies. It's so important that we get that. When we see these miracles, it can remind us that we were once blind too. Look at Ephesians 5.8. Ephesians 5.8 says this, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. Every single one of us, spiritually speaking, was blind. And Jesus came and restored our sight spiritually. Miracles happen like this every day. And I'm sorry to say, as much as we would love to see somebody that was blind physically be able to see, it is so much better to see God bring life into dead souls and bring them into his presence for all eternity. There's a story in Mark too that a lot of us know. And it's very interesting. And Jesus has really just kind of begun his ministry. And he's, he's in this home and he's, 
he's sharing and he's speaking and it's so crowded. You know the story, it's so crowded that, 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 that people are just packed into this, this little house basically. No one can get in. They're just kind of trying to hear. You know, I always picture this little home and, and people in the back trying to get up on their tippy toes. You know, it makes sense why Zacchaeus maybe climbed the tree. You know what I mean? And they can't get in. And, and basically in this story, there's a, a, a man that's a paraplegic. And his friends take him to Jesus. So they're bringing him in and now they can't get through. You know the story. And so Jesus is in this home and he's speaking and, 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 and slowly pieces of the roof begin to fall down and they pull apart the roof and they lower this guy right in front of Jesus. Now we know and Jesus knows and everybody that's there knows what the problem is. The guy can't walk. But in Mark 2, Jesus does something a little unexpected at first. Look what it says. Mark 2, verse number 5. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My child, your sins are forgiven. Now notice how he's addressed in the scriptures. He is not the healed man. He is not the man that can walk around. He is still the paralyzed man. And Jesus immediately understands what the greater need is. Now, can, can, can we be honest for a second? We spend, and this isn't wrong, please understand me. God asked us to do this, this is good. But we spend a lot of time praying for the physical needs of people and ourselves, don't we? We do. I, I, somebody falls and they break an arm, we pray for them. Should we? Absolutely. Someone's going into surgery, we stop, we pray for them. Should we? Absolutely. But can I ask you and me a simple question? How much time do we spend praying for the souls of people? How many times, how much time do we stand before our Lord and say, God, God, I pray that you would just bring people home. God, I pray that you would help them to know who you are. God, I pray that you would not just open the physical blind eyes, but that you would open the spiritually blind eyes. Again, it's not wrong to pray for people's health physically. God asks us to. We're commanded to. But Jesus here doesn't do in a lot of ways what we would do. He doesn't first heal the man physically. He first heals the man spiritually. And in that, we have to know that Jesus is much more concerned with our spiritual person than he is our physical person. Look here. God in his infinite wisdom sometimes doesn't give us what we want. He gives us what we need. And that's a changed heart. He does that. Listen, I know it's hard because as we get older, we deal with things, you know, we do. We want God to do certain things. And it's hard because we, ex we kind of, God, why won't you heal this person? Or God, why did you let this person go away I, 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 and, and go into heaven and, and die? I've had people come to me and, and scripture tells us that if we pray for the sick, they will recover. And I've had people come up to me and say, Aaron, I prayed. I prayed for grandma for, for 10 years and guess what? Grandma never got better. Grandma died. And I understand the pain of that. I've lost people too. But in that moment, and I hope in a loving way, I communicated as best as I could, you're wrong. God did heal her. He healed her better than if he had taken away every ache and every pain she ever experienced. He healed her everything. Everything was healed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. When she received that new body. Because why? Because before, before God first, first changed her heart. 
How's your heart? We go to the doctor all the time, don't we? We have our, hopefully we have our annual checkups and all those things. But how often do we stop and allow our heart to be looked at by the great physician? Because here's the thing, we use that term a lot when we speak of Jesus and it's exactly correct. But if you leave it as the great physician of your physical body, you are missing the great greatness of God being our physician of our spiritual body, which is much more important. So it focuses us in to our soul. Where are we at? Where are we at as individuals? Not where's our wife at, not where our kids are at. Where are we? And number four, the last one. This miracle reminds us of the exchange rate. And that sounds kind of funny, the exchange rate. Well, Aaron, Aaron what, what, what do you mean? What, what's, what's an exchange rate? Well, I don't know if you've ever traveled outside of this country and, and, and stuff, but when you do and you, you go to another place, you, you're going to take your money and you're going to exchange it, aren't you? You're going to say, okay, uh, here's, here's $1, and they'll say, okay, well, this dollar represents this many pounds if you go to England, okay? Or, or if you go to Germany, I think they're called francs still. You know, I don't know all the, the exchange rate or the exchange names anymore, but because uh, a lot of them changed. But, you know, you, you, you do an exchange, okay? When we see a miracle, an exchange has taken place, and we need to understand it. We need to see it, okay? Because it happens all the time. And the question becomes, is we all want miracles. We all want God to do something great in us and through us. We want God to do something amazing in our families and in our church and, and in our community. The question becomes, for us as individuals and us as a family, are we willing to do the exchange? Because there's an exchange that takes place. It happens all the time. And it doesn't happen the way you would think it would. Now, it's different today, it seems that way. If someone had a healing ministry or began to do some of these things, boy, a lot of people would come and, and it would be a lot of crowds and all these things. But in the New Testament, it's actually the opposite. Peter and John work, you know, have this amazing ministry in this moment and God uses them to heal this man. But immediately following their message, immediately following the healing and the sermon, it brings us to Acts 4. Look what it says. Acts 4, starting with verse number 1. While Peter and John were speaking to the people. So this is, this is ongoing here. I know that we went to a different chapter, but this is the same moment, same day, same time. They were confronted by the priests and the captain of the temple guard and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that through Jesus there is the resurrection of the dead. They arrested them and since it was already evening, put them in jail until the morning. Okay, stop. Let's think about this for a second. These guys, temple guards, Sadducees, leaders, they're going in and out of this temple a lot. Guess who they're seeing every single day? The crippled man. They walk in, there he is. They walk out, there he is. They've seen him, they know him. It's even interesting, we read that in, in Peter's message, he even says that you've seen, you've seen this guy. You know who this guy is. This isn't a plant. This is a guy that's been sitting here for probably decades. And they've seen him over and over and over again. Peter and John, because of what God does through them, he's healed. He's leaping. He's running. He's having himself a good old time, man. And what happens to Peter and John? They're arrested. They're arrested. They're, God uses them to do something amazing. And how, where do they spend their night? You know, it's not like they're like, hey, this is awesome. This is great. Look what God did. This isn't this great. No, they're put in jail for the evening. 
Later in Acts 4, they have to stand in front of the, the, the council and they're, they're berated and they're told, they're commanded not to speak the name of Jesus. It's interesting. They don't get praise. They get suffering. They're not put into the palace. Look what God's done through them. No. They're put into prison. And there's something very interesting here that we need to understand about the exchange rate. Both as a family, as a church, and as individuals. Look here, it's in your notes. For God to use them to alleviate this man's suffering, Peter and John had to be willing to suffer. You say, I want miracles. I want God to do great things through me. That's great. Are you willing to pay the exchange rate? Are you willing to understand what it's going to cost you? What it's going to cost us? Because see, a lot of people want great, mighty works of God, but they're not willing to pay the toll for what that costs. I've heard it so many times. I've seen it so many times. I've maybe mentioned it here so many times where you'll turn on something and you'll look at a church and you'll go, oh my goodness, look, the Spirit of God is just so moving at this place and in this church. Oh, I wish, oh man, I wish I could be a part of that. Oh man, I wish I lived in that town where this was happening and all these things. Boy, God's really moving. God's really awesome. God this or God that. And we look at that and we go, oh, it's so great. I wish I could be a part of that. What we don't understand and what we don't see is the last 25 years that that church prayed and struggled and fought to get there. We just see the end result. Are you willing to pay the exchange rate for God to do something like that here? Because it's going to cost us. We see it a lot in the, in the miracles of the New Testament. In fact, we even see it in the life of Jesus. In John 11, we know the story. Peter, or Jesus is, is getting ready to, to, to head into Jerusalem, but before he does, he gets word about his dear friend Lazarus, who's very, very ill. You know the story. Jesus delays, Lazarus dies. He goes, finally goes, he goes to Mary and Martha, take me to the tomb. He says, pull the stone away in one of the greatest, you know, New King, or New King James version of the Bible, you know, translations. I love this. They say, Jesus, we can't because he stinketh. He stinketh. He says, get the stone away. He calls out, Lazarus, come out. He comes out. Amazing. Miracle, just mind-blowing stuff. You realize what happens after that? Look in John 11, same chapter, verse 53. Here's what it says. So from that time on, the Jewish leaders began to plot Jesus' death. He rose a man from the dead. And in John, they begin to plot. How do we kill him? How do we get rid of him? How do we do this? Listen, listen, you got to see this. It's in your notes. For Jesus to call Lazarus out of the grave, he had to be willing to put himself into it. Are you? You say, Aaron, what, what do you mean, man? What, uh, it's getting a little extreme here. Like, I don't know how I feel about all this stuff. What do you, what do you mean? It means that we basically, as individuals in a church, do what Jesus commanded us to do. He commanded us to do it in Luke 9, 23. This is what it says. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Listen, I don't know if you understand this or not, but you're going to get the truth here. To follow Jesus, it is going to cost you something. It costs Jesus something. It's going to cost us something. 
And Jesus doesn't mince words here. Basically, in our understanding, what Jesus has just said is this. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to be one of my disciples, one of my followers, you be better be ready to die every single day. Now, Jesus doesn't necessarily mean physical death, even though for some people, they have to be willing to do that. But what he's talking about is dying to ourself, our wants, our needs, our desires, every single day. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost this church something. We sit there and we say we want to do it, uh, make, make a difference in our community and in our schools and in our workplaces. And that is awesome. Yes, 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 we should want that. But are you willing to pay the exchange rate? Are you willing to suffer to bring less suffering to someone else? It's a simple question, but it's very, very hard to answer. You see, it's amazing and you see it in Acts over and over and over again. The apostles do something amazing. And they're beaten for it. They're thrown in jail for it. Eventually, sometimes, and even we don't have all these things recorded, but in church history and things that we believe, they even are killed for it. Are we willing... To allow God to use us in that way. We all want the miracles. But I don't know at times if we're all willing to pay the price to bring it forth. Listen, you need to get this. It's important. For us to bring life to the world, the church is going to have to be willing to die. The church has to be willing to die. Now, I'm not meaning die and no longer be a part of our world. But I mean die to what we want. What we are comfortable with. Are we willing to do that to make a difference in our world, in our community? That's a hard question. And it's not one, honestly, that we should take lightly or answer lightly. But it is one that we're commanded to do. Jesus said it. If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to be willing to take up your cross. You're going to have to be willing to say, you know what? This isn't convenient for me. But it doesn't matter. Because what's more important is that I bring life to this individual who is living in death. A lot of us base our involvement and base our relationship with Jesus on our comfort level. Not on what he's commanded us to do. Listen, Jesus loves you with a love that we can't even comprehend. But can I just be honest with you? And I mean this as lovingly as I can make it. Jesus is not overly concerned with your comfort level. He's interested in souls. He's interested in doing miraculous works in you and through you. The question becomes, are we willing to pay the toll? Are we willing to pay the exchange rate for those things? Jesus was. We're going to see continuously through the book of Acts, the ecclesia was are we are we are we willing to pay that price let's just do this let's just all bow our heads and so much of 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 acts 3 is 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 an exciting story and and, I, and we need to look at it as that, but there's so much more there. There's so much more that takes place because of Acts 3, kind of 1 through, I guess, 11, that leads us into some questions that we have to ask ourselves. Some questions that we need to allow the Holy Spirit to kind of come in and, and, and 
show us. The first question is this. Are you focused on Jesus? Are you focused on what he can do? You get what I mean? Like, are you in love with Jesus? Are you in love with the thought that he can help you in these negative situations in life? And look, look, he does help us. And that's great. I'm not saying that's bad. But where's our focus? Where's our focus? Okay. Secondly, are you looking forward to the restoration of all things? When you see hurting and pain, do you blame God? Or instead, do you realize that those things are there because of the mistakes that we as human beings have made? But one day, all of it is going to be fixed again. All of it. And when you see these miracles, we're seeing a glimpse. You see, a miracle is not a, 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 a break in the normal, or, or if that makes sense. It is a reminder of the normal. It's putting things back the way God wants them to be. Number three, how's your soul? How's your heart? Maybe, maybe we're spending a lot of time, you know, with our physical needs. And again, nothing wrong with that. But God wants to also say, hey, 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 your heart. Where's your heart? What's filling your heart? And then lastly, are you willing to pay the exchange rate? You see, I, as a pastor, I can just be honest, I'll just be honest, I have a lot of times and a lot of people over the years that have come up and they've told me what needs to be done. They've been very specific on what needs to be done. And in those moments, you know, it is what it is. But in those moments, I sometimes look and I go, are you willing to partake of the suffering to bring that dream about? Are you willing to sacrifice your time, your treasure, your talents to bring forth a miracle? Or are you just there to basically tell everybody what they need to be doing to bring it about? Are you willing to see God do something great? Are you willing to be like John and Peter and even Jesus and say, you know what? I'll suffer so their suffering is alleviated. I'll suffer. I'll give of my time, my treasure, my talents so that they can know who Jesus really is. Because for us as a family to be all that God wants us to be, he wants all of us to be a part of that. All of us. So are you willing to pay the exchange rate? I know there's a lot of questions there. I know there's a lot of things there. But I also know that God can cut to the heart. And God can immediately begin to speak to you as an individual about areas that need some attention. Because he loves you. Because he has great plans for you. Because he has great things for you to accomplish for his name and his glory. So whatever it is, whatever area that God is right now through his Holy Spirit just beginning to, to kind of tap on your heart and listen, do me a favor, let him in, please. Let him in. He's not there to berate you. He's there to help you. He's there to bring forth life into those areas. Let him do that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Let's pray. And if those, one of those areas is kind of where your heart is, man, just begin to call out to God. Just begin to call out to him and say, you know, Father, I need help here. God, I, I'm not doing this and I need your help and he'll help you. Father, we love you and we come to you this morning. 
And God, we love the stories of the miracles. We love to see the power and the majesty and the might of your name and what it can do. But Father, there's something deeper here besides the miracle. There was a message that was attached to it. There was focus that needs to be a part of every individual as we look at these things that you have done in the past and even things that you are doing right now in the present. And so, Father, I pray that, that yes, we would celebrate the miracle. Yes, we would be excited about what you're doing. But, God, that, that we would have a bigger view of it. And that, Father, if there's areas in our life specifically that we've talked about this morning, that, Father, you would just come even now through your Holy Spirit and just begin to reveal those things to us. Help us to see those things. Maybe we're, we're doing really good in this area, but not so well over here. God, you want to help us to grow in all of these places, all of these things. So that, Father, we can be closer to you so that we can be more like you, and so that we can be used in a more effective, greater way for your glory and your kingdom and your name. Father, you're so good. You're so good. And we love that you come and you correct us with your loving kindness, and you help us to see things. And so, God, I pray that if you're knocking, that we'd open the door and let you come in and let you show us these areas and that you would change us from the inside out. We love you. We thank you. You're so good. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You're so good. You're so good. You're so good. Thank you, God. Well, thank you for being here this morning. And one of those that are online, man, we love you. We hope you're doing well. We miss you. Love to see you as soon as we can. For everybody that's here, man, thanks for being here. For those that are online and that are here, remember, there's a sign-up sheet out in the hall for baptism. If you want to be baptized, please sign up. If you, if you have questions about it, please come and talk to me about it, okay? If not, um, just sign up and we'll, we'll schedule a time. But, but this week, this week, I just want to encourage you as we, as we kind of head on out to, as we've talked about these last couple weeks, that we would go out and that we would be the sent ones. We would be the ecclesia that we see in the book of Acts, okay? So, so go out, share the life, share the love, share what God is doing in you and allow him to change the hearts and the lives of every individual that you come in contact with, all right? Father, we love you and we thank you. Be with us as we go. We love you and we're so thankful for all that you are and all that you're doing. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, thanks for being here. Love you, and we'll talk to you soon.